Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, guys. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to an emergency episode of The Liz Wheeler Show. So it turns out that... I'm not very good at taking vacations. I'm on vacation right now. My husband and I and our child, we went to San Diego just to relax for a couple of days, about a week. And some things happened while we were on vacation. And here I find myself working. However, this is, this is why I do what I do because I love doing it so much that I'm bad at vacations. You might notice that I'm a little short of breath right now. That is because I just literally, well, I didn't run up the stairs. I took an elevator, but I ran to the elevator um, up here, we are at the Reagan Center in Santa Barbara, California. I just got off stage moments ago at the Young America's Foundation High School Conference. Um, huge thank you, by the way. This was, they were such an incredible group of students. And I love the Young America's Foundation. I love talking at these conferences because when I look out, and I don't mean to sound like an old person here, but when I look out at all of the students, and they're usually about 15 years younger than me, 15, 16, 17 years younger than me, the high schoolers at least. I look out and I don't just see like nerds. I mean, they are nerds, just like I'm a nerd. I don't just see political nerds who want to have a couple days away from their parents. These are truly the people who will be the next leaders of our country. Like the, the students sitting in this room tonight, they're probably going to be in Congress when, when we're middle-aged. They're going to be in charge of businesses facing the woke corporate stuff that we're facing. They're going to be the ones raising kids and fighting back. And it's, it, I always come away, as you can tell, very energized and very encouraged because these students care. They care about our country. They care about learning the intricacies of what we're facing. And again, Governor Walker and the Young America's Foundation just throw incredible events. I am honored to be part of so many of them. And you might notice that I'm not sitting in my studio. Obviously, I'm in Santa Barbara, California in the Reagan Center. But walking into this room that we're in, I don't want to sound sacrilegious, but I feel like a reverence because I'm sitting, what is this, 10 feet away from Ronald Reagan's Jeep. His personal effects and the impact that he had on history is enshrined here. And you like, I feel that walking in. Like I feel a quiet and a humility and like the enormity of the history that has been preserved right here. It is just so different, I think, to tangibly see like just a, a, an object, a, a Jeep that he drove when he was president or a saddle that he put on his horse. It's absolutely incredible. And again, I'm really grateful that the Young America's Foundation has given me the privilege to sit in this room. There's also a little bit of irony that I'm sitting amongst Ronald Reagan's things when what I want to talk to you about has to do with a law that Ronald Reagan actually signed into law as president. And before we get into all of that, something else happened today. We were driving up from San Diego to Santa Barbara and my team called me and they said, oh, well, it's finally happened. Social media is dropping the hammer on you. YouTube actually gave my account a strike 
a strike is exactly what you would think. If you get three strikes, you are permanently banned from YouTube. They gave me a strike based off of quote unquote medical disinformation. They claimed that I violated their policy. And here's the thing, I don't care, right? We knew this was gonna happen at some point, whether it was now or a month from now. This is not a surprise. It, it does upset me, not in the personal sense. It upsets me because of what it means that the left, what it means the left intends for you. It means that like they don't care about silencing me. It's not personal. They care about preventing you from having access to information. They care about preventing you from being able to have autonomy and liberty over decisions that you make for yourself and your family. And that I take umbrage to. And so what I ask you to do today is please go over to my Rumble account. All of my content is available for free, uncensored on Rumble. You can go to rumble.com slash Liz Wheeler because one of these days, it's not going to be just one strike. This one strike, by the way, means that I'm not allowed to upload any videos on my YouTube account for the next seven days. So we will be doing episodes. We will be dropping videos. We won't be allowed to do that on YouTube. You can find all of that's what you usually watch on YouTube. You can find that rumble.com slash Liz Wheeler. It's going to happen. It's going to happen because I'm not going to back down to the bullying. I'm not going to self-censor. I'm not going to cave to these parameters, these Marxist parameters that the left is putting into place. So we are fortunate to have alternatives like Rumble that are dedicated to free speech. And we need you to help us build that up. There are a quarter million people who watch my content by subscribing, not just view the content, but a quarter million people who subscribe to my YouTube channel. I need you guys to go over to Rumble and subscribe there for the day that YouTube finally finally um, puts my account under the guillotine, rumble.com slash Liz Wheeler. I talked to um, the students about fighting uncomfortable fights and talking about uncomfortable topics. And that's that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do in this emergency episode. So let's get to it. Okay, so what what do I want to talk about? I obviously want to talk about the CDC, the so-called independent advisory panel, which the name even in, in and of itself is a joke, independent indishment and please. This independent advisory panel of the CDC voted 15 to 0 to recommend the COVID-19 mRNA vaccine be added to the CDC's recommended schedule for childhood immunizations. And I I, I want to watch this video of these 15 doctors voting because it's striking to see that when they cast their votes, and this is all on Zoom, by the way, because they're all COVID freaks. When they cast their vote, they say their name, but they don't just then cast their vote. They first have to state that they have no conflict, no financial conflicts of interest with the vaccine manufacturers. And it is jaw-dropping to see these doctors state so blatantly their name no conflicts, and vote yes when we know that that is false. Um, we'll uh, proceed with the vote. So as a reminder, please state your name, whether you have any conflicts of interest, and your vote. Um, and I'm going to start uh, right now with uh, Dr. Bell. Bell, no conflicts, yes. Thank you. Ms. McNally. No conflicts, yes. Uh, thank you. Um, Dr. Lair. Lair, no conflicts, yes. Ms. Bata. Bata, no conflicts, yes. Dr. Brooks. Brooks, no conflicts, yes. Dr. Daly. 
Daily, no conflicts, yes. Dr. Sanchez. Sanchez, no conflict, yes. Dr. Shaw. Shaw, no conflicts, yes. Dr. Long. Long, no conflict, yes. Dr. Cotton. Cotton, no conflicts, yes. Dr. Sineas. Sineas, no conflicts, yes. Dr. Paling. Paling, no conflict, yes. Lee, no conflicts, yes. Uh, Dr. Talbot. Talbot, no conflicts, yes. Dr. Chen. Chen, no conflicts, yes. Thank you. Dr. Wharton. Uh, and the motion passes um, 15 unanimously in favor. No conflicts. Yes. I told my husband when this happened. So this happened yesterday, right? The first vote was on Wednesday to add it to um, the Vaccines for Children program. The second vote was on Thursday to add it to the, or to recommend that the CDC adopt it for their for their childhood vaccine vaccination schedule or immunization schedule. And I said to my husband, I work with a lot of hot button topics and a lot of emotional things happen in the course of my work. And this has hit me in the gut in a way that very few other things do. Like when this vote happened and I saw this, I actually was shaking. Because this is going to impact our children in a harmful, dangerous way and for what? What this means is the CDC, by the way, still has to formally accept this recommendation from the Independent Advisory Committee, and the CDC will. They have a 99.999% chance of, of adopting this recommendation. Obviously, they will. We're going to talk about why they will in just a second. But what this means is that February of next year, February of 2023, this COVID-19 vaccine will be added to the CDC's recommended immunization schedule for infants six months of age. When the CDC puts a vaccine on their recommended immunization schedule, what happens is states adopt the CDC's recommended immunization schedule, and some states, most states, many states. And that means that's, that in order to send your child to school in that state, they are required to get these vaccines according to the schedule. And if they don't, they're not allowed to attend school. Obviously, you have to send your child to school unless you have the capacity to homeschool, which this is yet another reason to do so. But many families can't. Many families don't know how. Many families want their children to go to a school where this vaccine mandate would be implemented. And let's be very clear here. Parents in the United States, not just Republicans, not just conservatives, not just Christians, parents across the board reject the COVID-19 vaccine for their children at age six months, all the way up to five years. According to the CDCs, or according to the number of total children in this demographic between six months and five years, only 6% of children under five years old have gotten this vaccine. What does that mean? That means the vast, vast, vast majority of parents, even if the parents are vaccinated themselves, have chosen not to give this vaccine to their children because they don't believe it's in their children's best interest. They don't believe it's safe and effective and necessary. And what are these bureaucrats, these unaccountable, unelected bureaucrats at the CDC, what are they doing? They are trying to force parents to make decisions that the parents don't want to make under penalty of extreme disruption to the parents' lives. This is not based on science. And this is, this is actually the, the funny, not funny part of this, is the CDC that claims that this recommendation is based on science is the same CDC that the day before this vote happened, when they were showing PowerPoint slides making arguments for and against adding this vaccine to the recommended schedule. On one of their slides, 
they were recommending it for pregnant women, but they didn't say pregnant women. The phrase was recommended for pregnant people. If the CDC is so anti-science, so corrupted with, well, queer theory, which is Marxism, that they won't even acknowledge that the only people who walk this earth, who are able to be pregnant, carry, and birth children are women, then why should we give their so-called scientific recommendations about childhood vaccines any credence at all? The whole thing, it, it's so insane, and it's worse than being insane, it's, it's evil, right? It's evil. This is a vaccine that does not stop infection. It does not stop transmission. COVID is not dangerous for children. Look at the CDC's own data here, their own flow chart. Look at this graph. Children between the ages of six months and four years old, look at, look at where that line that says how many children have been hospitalized with COVID-19, it doesn't exist on the graph. It's statistically zero risk. That doesn't mean no children die from COVID-19. Of course they do. Just like children die from the flu, children die from other viruses. But statistically, this risk is a marginal risk for young children. But the adverse effects, the side effects, the negative side effects of this vaccine are not statistically zero. There's a new study from the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA. The reason that's important is because this is in the medical field. It's a mainstream medical journal. It's a reputable medical journal, according to public health officials. A new preprint finds that one in 500 children under the age of five is hospitalized with a vaccine injury after the COVID-19 mRNA vaccine. One in 500. That means if it's not your child, it's going to be your friend's child. If it's not your grandchild, it's going to be your buddy's grandchild. We don't even know the long-term effects. These are the short-term effects. The short-term effects. This same study found that one in 200 children under the age of five who got the COVID-19 mRNA, mRNA vaccine had symptoms from the vaccine that lasted weeks or even months. And again, we don't know how long these last because the study was very limited time-wise. We talked a couple of weeks ago, guys, about the Florida, the Surgeon General of the state of Florida. He conducted his own study to see how prevalent is myocarditis, how serious is this for young men. We know that young men have heart inflammation. And he found that there's an 84% increase in the relative incidence of cardiac-related deaths among young men ages 18 to 39 years old within 28 days of getting the COVID-19 mRNA vaccine. An 84% increase in the risk that your son or your brother or your nephew or your boyfriend will die from a vaccine that doesn't prevent him from getting COVID-19. It doesn't prevent him from transmitting COVID-19. And COVID-19 itself was never really a risk because he's young and healthy. The Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System is a system where doctors who have patients who have an adverse effects event from a vaccine are supposed to report this. It's called postmarking for vaccines, like stuff that's not just contained, adverse effects that's not, that aren't just contained to the studies, the longer-term effects or things that you see in the broader population are reported so we can understand exactly what impact positive and negative that vaccines have on a population. An 11-year-old female, there's a report about an 11-year-old female that said that five minutes after the first dose of the mRNA COVID vaccine, she suddenly said she couldn't hear. 
She said she couldn't even feel her ears. Then she lost consciousness for several minutes. Five minutes later, when she woke up, she had a seizure that lasted five minutes, during which this tiny little girl screamed over and over, Mommy, make it stop. This is one report out of thousands. The 15 doctors who stated their names and then stated no conflict of interest and then voted yes, we should remember their names. Their names are Pablo Sanchez, Narav Shaw, Lynn Bada, Beth Bell, Oliver Brooks, Wilbur Chen, Sybil Sinius, Matthew Daly, Grace Lee, Sarah Long, Veronica McNally, Catherine Paling, Helen Talbot, Camille Cotton, and Jamie Lair. A few years down the road, we're going to forget them. You probably already forgot their names. I did. But a few years down the road, once we've forgotten these people, they'll be rich from the big pharma jobs that are waiting on them. This is a child sacrifice for cash. That's how it works. When bureaucrats at the CDC or the FDA ignore science, ignore empirical evidence, and vote to force vaccines like the COVID vaccine on children who don't need it, they do that because they want to cash out. They work in government for a few years. There's an, they, there's an implicit understanding between big pharma and CDC bureaucrats that if you do the bidding of big pharma while you work in government, then after you've done the work of big pharma, they'll have a big cushy thank you job that'll make you rich for the rest of your life. Pfizer and Moderna want nothing more than to have their vaccine added to the childhood immunization schedule for two reasons. One, they make an incredible amount of ongoing profit from that, obviously. But more importantly to their agenda, Pfizer and Moderna currently have zero liability from when their, their vaccines harm people. So if, if you get the vaccine or your child gets the vaccine or your spouse does and they suffer an injury, that 11-year-old girl, for example, her family, she can't sue Pfizer. She can't sue Moderna, whichever vaccine she got. Why? Because the federal government declared a public health emergency and the vaccines were given a license, a, an emergency use authorization. So they didn't undergo the normal studies. They weren't officially FDA approved. In fact, the vaccine that's still being given, even though the, the FDA did officially approve it, what's being given or administered is not the FDA approved version. The, the version that's being given to people today is still the emergency use authorization. Why? Because under emergency use authorization, the vaccine manufacturer does not have any ownership of the liability. It doesn't matter if their product harms people. It doesn't matter if they sold it under fraudulent pretenses. They, they, they cannot be sued. They are immune from liability. But, which is insane, right? But what happens when the public health emergency is lifted? What happens when this emergency use authorization is rescinded and they just use the FDA-approved version of it? Well, what happens is Pfizer and Moderna would then be liable for harm that 
outcomes of their jabs because of the shot. They don't want that, obviously. There's one way that Pfizer and Moderna can continue to enjoy immunity from liability, and that is if their vaccine qualifies for the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, which is also an insane program. What that does is it shields vaccine manufacturers from liability forever. So once upon a time in the 1980s, vaccine manufacturers didn't want liability for the pertussis vaccine. I wonder why. Those who know the history of the DPT vaccine know why. So the vaccine manufacturers threatened the federal government. They said, we're going to stop producing vaccines if we have to take responsibility for our own product. If we shoulder the liability for the harm caused by our product, then we don't want to be in the marketplace. We don't want to have to pay that out. We want zero responsibility. The government freaked out. They thought this would create a public health emergency. And so they caved to Big Pharma. They said, okay, we will pass legislation that will shield you from the liability of your own product. And we, the government, will shoulder that responsibility. So what, 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 did, what did this mean? Every vaccine now, it comes with a 75 cent excise tax. So if you had your children vaccinated, if you got vaccines, anybody who paid for a vaccine, 75 cents of the cost of that vaccine goes to the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, which compensates some people if you can prove that the vaccine harmed you, which is very difficult to do even when it's obvious, right? Even though, of course, even if you're compensated, even if you're injured, the government takes no responsibility and there's no admission uh, that the vaccine actually caused that harm. It's a really messed up, a really messed up law. And uh, it's, it's called the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986, which unfortunately, like I said, ironically, was signed into law by President Reagan. Maybe he had good intentions. He was trying to prevent a public health crisis. But this is, for better or for worse, this is what it turned out to be. In order for a vaccine and a vaccine manufacturer to qualify for the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, which then shields them from all liability in order for Pfizer and Moderna to qualify for this, this immunity from liability for their mRNA vaccine for COVID-19, there are, there's a stipulation that must be met. That stipulation is that the vaccine must be recommended for all ages which means that that vaccine must be recommended for children six months and older and pregnant women. So what we're seeing when we see these 15 corrupt, evil doctors state their name, say no conflict of interest, because you can't prove that we're going to cash out any minutes and be paid by Big Pharma for doing their bidding at the CDC. We're seeing corrupt, evil CDC bureaucrats who two years down the line, three years down the line, they're going to be driving some nice cars, aren't they? They're making it so that Pfizer and Moderna never have any accountability for any harm caused by their vaccines ever, forevermore. This isn't about children. This isn't about a vaccine protecting kids from COVID-19 or protecting vulnerable populations by making kids a dead end so that they can't transmit the virus. I'm shaking again thinking about this. It's so evil. Children are dying. Young people, particularly young men, are suffering from myocarditis inflammation of their hearts 
that according to recent studies, doesn't vanish after treatment a week or two later. It stays with them. This vaccine causes fertility issues, not just in women, but in men. There are millions of Americans who do our best to manage chronic autoimmune issues. This vaccine causes flare-ups. We don't even know what the long-term impacts of this technology are. The CDC vampires do not care about children. They're sacrificing babies and toddlers and young children on the altar of big pharma profit. I've always cared about this issue, but I have never cared about it as deeply as I care about it as a mom. This is not the first time that I've entered this realm of political issue. I fought tooth and nail in California and in Maine against the government initiatives to prohibit parents from invoking personal, philosophical, and religious exemptions to the mandated vaccine schedules in those states for children to go to school. It used to be that, oh, okay, well, if the if XYZ vaccine was mandated and you know you didn't want to get that vaccine, the parents just had to submit an exemption, which is what should be allowed. Parents should have dominion over their children. But California, first California and then Maine, made it illegal for parents. They they don't allow exemptions from parents. The only exemptions are medical exemptions, and the medical cartel who are controlled by big pharma control what constitutes a medical exemption. So essentially, exemptions don't exist. And by the way, even some people in the Republican Party and the conservative movement on our own side called me anti-vax. I don't care about labels. I don't care about insults. Just like I don't care about the left calling me a conspiracy theory or ultra mega or whatever, domestic terrorist, whatever their insult of the day is. I don't care about the name calls. My argument at the time was, if we allow the government to override parental dominion over their children, what's the limiting principle on this? It's, it, this is not a matter of whether with the, with the CDC recommended immunization schedule, aside from the COVID-19 vaccine, this isn't a matter of whether you think it's wise to vaccinate your children or not. It actually doesn't matter what you think on that. You can think that one parent's decision is stupid and another parent's decision is smart, but that shouldn't mean that you have the right to control the parents whose decisions you consider to be unwise. My question was, what's the limiting principle on this? What can't government do forcing parents to force medical procedures on their children if we allow them to override our religious, personal, and philosophical exemptions. And I was one of the only people in the conservative movement speaking out on this because everyone's so afraid of being called anti-vax, so afraid of being called a conspiracy theorist, so afraid of being called anti-science by people who call pregnant women pregnant people. And I guess, what is it, five, six years since these laws have passed? I guess now we have our answer. It doesn't end. There is no limiting principle. The government is going to force whatever they want, no matter the harm it causes to your kid, on your child. And states, of course, say, well, we don't have responsibility for this. We just, we just adhere to the CDC schedule. And the CDC is going to say, oh, wait, the CDC actually did say this. It's not, it's not hypothetical. The CDC says, don't blame us. We just make a recommended schedule to the states who adopt whether they want to 
use the schedule to mandate vaccines for schools. So it's this like circular thing where the CDC is like, no, no, states are responsible. And the states are like, no, no, we're going to take the CDC's advice. They don't want responsibility for this for obvious reasons. And this is a little bit of what I talked to the students tonight about. We can sit here and we can talk about how awful this is, how evil this is, how corrupt this is, how obvious this is, that it's anti-science. But how do we stop this? Because what we're going to see next year is we're going to see a spate of six-month-old SIDS deaths. And the medical establishment is going to blame it on co-sleeping. When it's obvious to us all what's going to have caused that. How do we stop this? I propose to you two ways that we can stop this. The first way is not a short-term answer. The first way takes a ton of effort. The first way is we must abolish the administrative state. The only reason these CDC bureaucrats have the power that they have is because the administrative state makes rules about uh, rules that govern our lives and our families and our children, and they have no accountability to us, to the voter. The legislature, our Congress, has deferred their legislative responsibility to these government, these, these executive branch agencies who interpret vague laws passed by cowardly congressmen who don't actually want to be held accountable to the voters, so they just kick the can over to the, to the CDC and the FDA and all these other agencies of the executive branch of the federal government who then interpret the legislation by making rules. Yet these bureaucrats who are making these insane rules and recommendations have no accountability to us. We can't just vote them out. We've talked about this innumerable times because the swamp, the deep state, is a feature of the administrative state. That's what it is. The administrative state was conceived or conceptualized, I should say, by Woodrow Wilson, who envisioned this this cadre of non-political staffers that were permanent, well, staffers in the federal government. He said, then we won't have the chaos every time an administration turns over or changes parties if we have these these politically neutral staffers who know how it operates. Well, (laughs) politically neutral, my eye, was it over 90% of federal government staffers voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016? It's hardly politically neutral. He conceived of this, but it wasn't until Lyndon B. Johnson and then FDR that they put this into practice. Now, this, this bloated administrative state You might be thinking, well, isn't this unconstitutional? Doesn't this violate the separation of powers? How does the executive branch have the power to essentially do the legislative work of the Congress? And the answer to that is, obviously. It's obviously unconstitutional. And the Supreme Court didn't allow this until they did allow it. Until they started being judicial activists. So long-term, if we want to do more than constantly play whack-a-mole with these government bureaucrats that abuse their power to control our lives, then we have to dismantle the administrative state. We have to make it so these so-called civil servants who can't be fired can be fired. We have to shrink the executive branch of the federal government to the size and the scope that it was intended to be. 
We have to force the legislator to shoulder the responsibility enumerated by the Constitution to actually legislate. And yes, to be accountable to the voters when they legislate badly. That's the long-term plan. But what about in the short term? Let me tell you what we can do in the short term. There's a demographic of people in our country who can stop this. In Washington, D.C., Mayor Bowser mandated the COVID vaccine for high schoolers. She said, if your high schooler doesn't get this vaccine by the beginning of the school year, then they will be expelled from school. And there will be no provisions for that child to distance learn or for simply do, do school from their computer. None of that. It's get the vaccine or be expelled and lose your opportunity for education. She was trying to give parents no choice. And what did parents in Washington, D.C. do? They didn't just say no. They refused. That's why half of Black students, specifically Black students, in Washington, D.C.'s district, parents of those students looked Mayor Bowser in the eye and said, I dare you. I dare you to kick my child out of school if they don't get the vax. We as the parents choose that this is not the best for my child. And you're going to deprive my child of education because I don't want to give them an experimental vaccine. And what happened? It crept closer and closer and closer to the deadline. Parents called Bowser's bluff. And what did Bowser do? She caved. She said, oh, you know what? We're going to wait another semester. We're not, we're not going to kick these kids out of school at the beginning of the school. We're going to wait until January, the second semester. Why? Because parents didn't just say no. Parents refused. Parents called her bluff. If we do that now, if parents refuse to give their child, their small child, their six-month-old, their two-year-old, their five-year-old, the COVID-19 vaccine, which parents know is dangerous and ineffective, if parents don't just say no but refuse, states will be forced to back down and the CDC will be forced to back down. There is no more powerful person in our country today than parents. Abolish the administrative state and parents have courage. This was the thesis of what I said to the students tonight. I said, be unafraid to fight the uncomfortable fights. Be unafraid to face down the radical left with grit and confidence. They will back down, but only if we force them to. This video, this emergency episode, will be posted on Locals, as always, of course, but it will also be posted on Rumble. It won't be posted on YouTube, not only because we can't post on YouTube for the next seven days, but because we are speaking the truth that they don't want you to hear. So please, if you haven't subscribed, go to rumble.com slash Liz Wheeler. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.